Ukraine has continued its operations in occupied Crimea, destroying the headquarters of Russia's Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol. On the international plane, President Zelensky has visited the US to partake in the UN General Assembly, as well as to hold bilateral talks. You are listening to the Explaining Ukraine podcast. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I am joined by my colleagues Maxim Panchenko and Anastasia Harasimchuk, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Maxim and Nastya, thanks so much for joining this conversation. So let us start. Uh, let us start with an overview. What are the key events in and around Ukraine over the past week, Maxim? Yes, thank you. So we're going to traditionally start with developments in the front lines uh, and beyond. That is in Crimea because there is a lot to talk about there. We're going to talk about the bombings, continued bombings of Russia against Ukrainian peaceful cities. Uh, we're going to talk about diplomacy, a great deal of that, about Ukraine's president's visit to the United States to participate in the General Assembly of the UN, but also to hold bilateral uh, talks. And also we're going to talk about the Ramstein meeting and the developments in uh, relations with the European Commission and with Ukraine's Western uh, allies when it comes to the grain dispute. So let us indeed start with the the most recent development. The was recent, the most recent event, uh, the huge bombing again of Ukrainian cities uh, last night, and uh, huge bombings of Odessa. Uh, Nastya, you are based in Odessa, and you can tell us from your experience what you heard and what happened. The floor is yours. Yes, Volodya. Unfortunately, Russia continues terrorizing Ukrainian peaceful cities and Ukraine and Ukrainians. And the geography of Russian strikes was so vast. So during the last week, the whole territory of Ukraine uh, was covered by air raid alerts, and uh, there were no uh, parts of Ukraine that weren't touched by by these attacks. And indeed, last night was a very difficult uh, for Odessa. Uh, there was a massive attack uh, on the city, and it was indeed a sleepless night. And uh, I- I'm still thinking about what was happening, and I'm still uh, hearing these sounds in my mind because it's scary while you are getting ready to go to bed when it's late night. And you start hearing the missiles whistling above your apartment building and you're rushing to the corridor uh, in the fear of what what can happen next. So this attack was really a massive one, uh, one of the biggest ones that uh, were carried on against Odessa. And the main targets uh, of Russians were the port facilities, as usually, 
but unfortunately, civil infrastructure uh, also suffered because of this attack. And I also want to remind our listeners that Russians, as usually, used this mixed type of attack. So the first wave of attack was um, launched uh, by using uh, Shahed drones. Uh, then the caliber missiles were fired at the city, and uh, simultaneously, Russians also launched Onyx missiles. Uh, these are hypersonic missiles which cannot be shot by Ukrainian air defense. As a result of this attack, uh, the uh, Marine Station. Uh, was almost completely destroyed. And uh, together with that, the hotel building uh, was also heavily damaged. Mm, these two buildings, they uh, are located next to each other and um, they are a big part of uh, civilian, in, uh, civilian um, maritime infrastructure in Odessa. Uh, so um, the grain storages were also under attack uh, last night and unfortunately two people who were working there at night, uh, they died, they were killed by Russian attack. And um, the buildings around, uh, like, uh, l- l- let me explain that uh, this place, the this part of uh, Port of Odessa, the civilian, let's say, part of the Port of Odessa, it is located close to the uh, city center, and it is a historically important part of Odessa, and the Potemkin Stairs, Primorsky Boulevard, uh, the famous uh, uh, famous sites of the city, they are located like close to this place. Uh, so in addition to these heavy damages, the uh, buildings, which are uh, UNESCO heritage part, they were also uh, damaged under this attack. So indeed, it was a difficult night. It was a heavy attack, and uh, Odessa residents are heartbroken uh, because of these damages. Uh, so I, I can't help be emotional here, and it's not so easy to um, uh, to cope uh, with that and to gather all the thoughts together. But apart from Odessa. Uh, the last week was also full of negative events of this sort. For example, under one of the attacks uh, Russians launched, it happened on the on the 21st of uh, September. Uh, the attack, uh, the massive missile attack, was carried out against Kiev uh, Oblast and the western part of Ukraine. Uh, there were 40, 43 missiles launched, and it was the first attack on energy infrastructure for the last half a year, and it happened in, in Rivna. So we, we see the signs that the Russians are going to get back to their practice of destroying the energy facilities, and the cold period is coming, so it's no wonder that Russians want Ukrainians to stay in dark and cold. And um, what is also important about this week as well, it's again the use of ballistic missiles. On the 23rd of August, the ballistic missiles Iskandera were used against Dnipro and Zaporizhia. Uh, so we you see mean that September, Russia. September, September not I'm sorry, yes. And uh, so we see that Russians do not change their tactics in general. They use these mixed attacks. And um, we also see some um, 
slight changes in the um, weaponry they use. So now we uh, experience more of ballistic missile attacks. Thank you, Nastya, for this uh, very personal uh, account of what has happened in Odessa and in other cities. Um, I mean, th- there is a th- there is a clear pattern that Russians are targeting the civilian infrastructure and killing civilians and also targeting why they're targeting Odessa so much because they want to target Ukrainian exports facilities, the export of Ukrainian grain, which goes all around the world, which goes to those countries that Russia pretends to be their representative, like the countries of Africa, the countries of the Middle East, the countries countries of Southeast Asia and others. And uh, it's remarkable that difference between Ukrainian strikes and the Russian strikes. The Ukrainian are striking the military objects primarily, and we will talk about this um, um, in in a couple of minutes. While Russians are targeting the civilian objects and civilian inf- infrastructure, the energy infrastructure, and then grain deposits, and then ports, and and uh, and other things. And I think this this is something we need to keep in mind. And I also remember when you, Odessa was applying for the status of UNESCO culture heritage capital, uh, a cultural her- heritage site, that people who were running this application were saying, look, one of one of the, our goals is also security goal, that Russians will, will probably not attack a, a place which is a UNESCO cultural heritage site. And um, and unfortunately, these people were wrong because Russians don't don't care about this preserving UNESCO cultural heritage site as, as they showed previously as well. Maxim, let us turn to uh, to the battleground. What is happening on the front line, and can you just tell us a, a bit of um, the developments there? Yes. So developments in the front lines are, for the most part, uh, local these days. There are several major hotspots. Uh, one of which is uh, to the south of Bakhmut, and uh, this uh, this is indeed a site of some Ukrainian successes over the last weeks because Ukrainians have managed to recapture the villages uh, of Andreevka and Klishivka that are uh, strategically important to further advance in that area uh, because in doing so, uh, Ukrainian forces managed to achieve several uh, goals simultaneously. So first, uh, if you look at the map, uh, pushing Russians further to the east from these villages basically contributes to splitting the forces of Russia into the basically northern and southern part when it comes to the eastern occupied part of Ukraine. This might be somewhat of a of an oversimplification, but generally uh, Ukraine is trying to split Russian forces in the east in several parts. And secondly, in doing so, again, Ukraine uh, is already controlling or having under fire control the uh, routes that go from the parts of Donbas that have been uh, that have been occupied since 2014, and the newly occupied Bakhmut, and uh, that helped Russians to tie these newly occupied territories, this town of Bakhmut, to the logistic bases that uh, Russians have had eight or nine years to prepare beforehand. And now that Ukrainians are maybe not literally cutting off Bakhmut from those from those bases, but at least are um, controlling 
the uh, the routes that lead from one place to another. Uh, this, of course, uh, helps very much to to the possibilities of Ukraine. Uh, in that area of the battlefield. And already traditionally, the second hotspot is uh, the Verbova Novokoprokopivka locality in the southern front in Zaporizhia Oblast. Uh, there has not been much advancement there, but uh, there has been a good number of Russian counterattacks aimed at reclaiming the newly deoccupied villages, and they were futile by Russians. Uh, which uh, shows that uh, Ukraine, uh, first of all, has enough resources on that front, and uh, secondly, has a long strategy there, because it does not try to accomplish everything in a week or two, advance as far as possible, and then not know what to do in the face of these counteroffensives of Russians counteroffensives in this case. Uh, so I think that Ukraine has longer um, longer prospects there. Uh, however, I would argue that the major developments when it comes to the warfare happened this um, uh, this week or these 10 days, not necessarily at the front lines, but a little bit to the rear, because uh, as our listeners may uh, remember, in our last uh, penultimate uh, episode that we recorded with Nastya, we were talking about the um, consistent effort that Ukrainian forces uh, were undertaking in the northwestern part of uh, the Black Sea how Ukraine was um, destroying the air defense in the Crimean Peninsula, in the western part of it, uh, in the Black Sea itself, uh, because there were some uh, oil rigs that were used by Russians by the, for that end. And this, and this week uh, there was the peak of this story so far, because uh, Ukraine managed to uh, hit uh, the jewel in the crown of Russians in, in Crimea, the uh, headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet, uh, uh, located in Sevastopol, and I believe Nastya has more to tell about this. Yes, let us turn to Nastya. Indeed, this is this was indeed one of the most re- remarkable attack over the past uh, weeks. Probably the attack on the headquarters of Russian Black Sea, in which apparently there were lots of high-rank uh, Russian uh, generals. So, Nastya, what can you tell us about this? Indeed, these were remarkable events and uh, the good news brought uh, to us by our armed forces. Before uh, getting to details, um, I I would uh, like to explain the very strategic concept of of what was going on and what keeps going on in the area of uh, front and in the occupied territories and even in the Russian territory. So uh, according to the spokesperson of the military intelligence of Ukraine, uh, what is going on and now it is officially confirmed by Ukrainian military officials. So what is going on now is um, fulfilling the strategic plan of Ukraine armed forces, the aim of which is to distract the logistic hubs of Russian armed forces. So when it comes to Crimea, when we hear about these strikes on uh, oil depots or uh, the military headquarters or other facilities and weaponry, it means that Ukrainians are preparing the ground for next strategic steps, uh, which allegedly can be the liberation of Crimea or the further movements in the southern flank of the front line. 
So what exactly happened in the occupied Crimea? On the, uh, there was a series of strikes by Ukrainian armed forces on these important military facilities uh, and especially on the um, naval facilities of Russians. So on the 20th of September, um, Ukraine attacked the command center of uh, Russian Black Sea Fleet in Sevastopol. So uh, the tactics was very effective. So first there was a mass drones attack, which was used to overload the uh, Russian air defense. And after that, there was a uh, the next wave of attack uh, where the um, Neptune missiles were used. The next day, the airfield in uh, Saki was attacked. Uh, we don't know about the results of this attack, but allegedly there were about 12 uh, Russian jets. And again, the next day, there, uh, there was the most important attack of Russian of Ukrainian armed forces. So on the 2nd of September, uh, Ukrainians managed to hit Black Sea Fleet headquarters in Sevastopol. And it was an, indeed an important event because um, it, it's not symbolic one. It is about the military military command Russia, because at that time, uh, reportedly, they, they were hiking uh, commanders of Russian uh, Black Sea Fleet. There, there was a gathering there. There was an important meeting. So uh, Russians do not confirm or deny the information about uh, the, uh, killed and wounded um, officers, but uh, Ukrainian side reports about uh, nine high-ranking officers uh, killed and 16 wounded. Uh, and uh, it, it is uh, indeed very important uh, step because uh, when we talk about the command of military forces, of armed forces, uh, it is not less important than um, destroying the uh, capabilities themselves. I mean, weaponry, uh, logistic hubs, etc. Uh, because when it comes, we know that Russians are using these um, meat uh, grinder uh, attacks. They do not uh, care about people's lives and they send their soldiers to the front line and uh, they don't care even about the amount of uh, people uh, killed in the front line. But when it comes to the officers, when it comes to command, it is of strategic importance because we are talking about people who know uh, about the strategy, who have the access to documents, uh, who are, uh, we, we talk about well-trained people uh, who are not so easy to be replaced. So it is also a way to weaken the Russian military capabilities. And there was another important attack. Uh, again, allegedly, there was a hit on oil terminal, which is located in the Inkerman uh, district, which is also in um, Sevastopol. And apart from these activities of Ukrainian armed forces in Crimea, there were also strikes uh, on uh, Russian territories. And uh, now we are talking about Kursk region. So on the 24th of September, there was a drone attack and a very precise strike uh, was carried on uh, at the uh, FSB, it's Russian uh, Federal Security Service. Uh, so the, their headquarters was also attacked. 
And we also here we also talk about the airfield in Halino, which is close to Kursk. Mm, there was no information about the jets uh, damaged, but according to Ukrainian uh, military uh, intelligence, um, a lot of um, officers, again, a lot of officers, uh, high-ranking command officials um, were wounded or killed uh, at this attack. And again, we want to emphasize that while while Ukrainians are attacking Russian territory or occupied territories, these are precise strikes that are not aimed at civilian infrastructure. They are not aimed at terrorizing uh, population or killing economy or any kind of illegal activities. We are talking only about strategic spots and we are talking only about legal aims. Thank you, Nastya, indeed. And indeed, uh, the recent attacks uh, if we if we take russian territory but most importantly if we take the russia occupied ukrainian territories in crimea in particular in the black sea are remarkable and uh, this downing of uh, this targeting of the russian big ship which is called minsk this uh, targeting of the russian air defense in crimea and finally targeting of the headquarters of high commanders of the Russian black, black Fleet. That means that Ukrainians are smart, and with the help of these high-precision weapons, they can really make a difference. Uh, Maxim, let's talk about the international arena. So, uh, in the past week, actually, there was a very important event, UN General Assembly, and President Zelensky visited the United States, also visited Canada, in the States, he, made, uh, he met uh, United States President Joe Biden. What are the news, what are the important takeaways take from these uh, visits? So all of these visits, all of these developments have been revolving around this high-level week uh, at the United Nations. It was on the occasion of this. And uh, indeed, this uh, past 10 days have been packed with, uh, with the similar events. But I would argue that... Um, the agenda here was not uh, something particular. I mean, it was uh, quite conventional things as to President Zelensky's diplomacy, like promoting his peace plan, like negotiating new aid packages, military aid packages. There are going to be a little bit more news that Nasty is going to share later about the uh, joint uh, production of weapons between the US and Ukraine. But... Uh, in my opinion, what was important here uh, during these uh, meetings, during this diplomatic trip of uh, President Zelensky, is the backdrop against which it was happening, because much of, we, uh, much of it had quite uh, dubious optics. Uh, first of all, because of the domestic processes in the United States and the approaching campaign, presidential campaign uh, of the next year, this uh, every so often uh, is uh, impacting how the uh, issue of Russia's war against Ukraine is being perceived in, uh, in the US, how it is being instrumentalized, because for instance, uh, the far-right Republicans uh, are becoming incrementally vociferous about uh, why do we need to keep uh, helping Ukraine because Ukraine does not show any real progress, any significant progress in their eyes uh, in the battlefield, etc., etc. And uh, that, of course, is making things harder for, for Ukraine to, to negotiate uh, the support it needs because at the end of the day, uh, it is not 
if it does not even matter whether uh, to which extent what Republicans, for instance, are saying is true. It's just about how they need to present this to their constituency, and this is becoming a problem for Ukraine. And also another uh, part of the backdrop that I mentioned is uh, Ukraine's um, relations with Poland in the context of the uh, grain trade. And once again, we're going to discuss this a little bit later as a separate topic. But uh, this also influenced uh, the atmosphere, so to say, uh, in the couloirs of the of the UN General Assembly, because uh, Ukraine and Poland had more or less a public raw on the highest level. There was a... Um, uh, an exchange between, uh, behind their eyes, so to say, exchange between presidents of Ukraine and uh, Poland uh, about who owes who owes what to to whom, you know, etc. And this did not look very well uh, for the positioning of Ukraine, of course. Uh, so there is that. At the same time, if we if we look for the hard results, for the hard outcomes of this uh, diplomacy week, uh, I'd say that they are quite uh, quite good and can be embedded in the logic of what Ukraine is trying to achieve because there are new packages of support uh, negotiated. There are incrementally there is incrementally more news about Atacams finally being handed over to Ukraine. Uh, from what can be gathered, this is the matter of days or weeks, finally, and German towers are rumored to follow shortly after. So, fingers crossed. These are the long-range missiles that Ukraine needs to hit the rear of the Russian um, Russian armed forces. Nastya, according to Zelensky, Ukraine and uh, United States have reached agreements on joint production of arms. Can you develop on this, please? Um, in, yes, our president told about uh, such uh, arrangements. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have like full information about uh, details of what kind of cooperation it can be. Uh, but uh, even without this full information, even without uh, the um, you know the um, agreements written on the paper that we can read. Uh, we can talk about the significance of such cooperation. So when we talk about this um, military production cooperation between the US and Ukraine, first of all, we are talking about the air defense uh, systems production cooperation. Uh, that what, that's what uh, uh, President Zelensky told. So uh, when we talk about this kind of cooperation between Ukraine and such a state as the United States of America, it means that uh, there is this um, readiness of the West, of uh, our Western allies as, as a whole, uh, to build these close ties with Ukraine in the military sphere. So it's um, a very important sign of a deepening integration of our um, military production systems. Uh, so uh, we already know about uh, such um, agreements between uh, Ukraine and Germany, Ukraine and uh, Sweden, Ukraine and Great, Great Britain. Uh, so, for example, British biosystems, which are the second large producer of weapons uh, in, in, in Europe, are going to uh, open uh, some facilities built some facility Ukraine. So uh, this 
kinds of agreements they are kind of test for Ukraine. Uh, if, if it's possible to um, cooperate on the right terms effectively with the Ukrainian state. And when we see that the United States are showing their readiness to develop such a cooperation, it's um, a sign that the first step of this test has been already passed. And now uh, we, we need to see what, what is going to follow uh, this agreement. We are we need to observe the concrete steps like what ukrainian what ukraine as a state is going to offer to the united states in terms of uh legal framework uh, the terms of cooperation and what, are, what what the united states are going to build here uh, so it is a very interesting and important uh, stage of military cooperation of ukraine with the western world and even if, if we are talking about the uh, Ukraine's NATO um, aspirations, this kind of, uh, let's say, integration, integrating these military systems, building common enterprises, is um, also an important step in terms of uh, integration of Ukraine into NATO as an alliance. And one element also of <clears throat> this integration is what is happening on the Rammstein meetings. Uh, on the Rammstein meetings, let me remind you that this is a kind of a defense ministry, uh, ministries uh, gatherings uh, in Rammstein on the American base in Germany to discuss possible further um, supplies of the uh, partners' uh, weapons to Ukraine. And this was the first meeting of Rustem Umerov, who is the Ukrainian new defense minister. So this meeting uh, was held on September 19th. Nastya, probably you can develop on this as well. The, when we are talking about the results of uh, this Rammstein meeting, uh, we cannot say that there was a huge breakthrough um, in regard to, to Ukraine's expectations uh, from it. And here I mean the uh, supply of long-range missiles, Atakams and uh, the American Atakams and German Taurus missiles. But as, uh, as Maxim Vol uh, have already uh, told, um, Ukraine, uh, like, it is told, it is reported. We don't have like the concrete facts, confirmed facts about it, but um, there is this information that Ukraine uh, is going to get this type of weaponry, which is vitally important uh, for Ukraine's counteroffensive. So uh, at this meeting, there were no official announcements uh, about this type of missile supplies to Ukraine. Uh, but what is also important, there were no um, rejections, like the, the high-ranking officials that took part in the meeting, they didn't deny the possibility uh, to give this type of missiles to Ukraine. So we can also uh, imply from here that Ukraine is going to get them. Uh, even though these decisions were not officially announced at that meeting, Ukraine still got uh, very important um, packages of military aid. And here we, we are talking about the strengthening of uh, air defense, first of all. Uh, and uh, here we talk about all types of air defense Ukraine has. It's Patriot systems, IRST, HOPE, NASAMS, uh, etc., 
so the Western allies uh, of Ukraine uh, think that the first priority for Ukraine is strengthening the air defense and also supplying uh, the ammunition to Ukraine, which is indeed really important. We, we need it. We badly need it along, uh, along with um, jets, F-16, and uh, of course, long-range missiles. Uh, what was one of the biggest achievements of this meeting is that um, Ukraine, together with its allies, partners, and friends, is forming uh, two big coalitions uh, in the military sphere. First coalition we are talking about is an IT coalition. Uh, so uh, its aim is to strengthen the cybersecurity in Ukraine. And such states as Estonia, Germany, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, Poland uh, are going to take place in this coalition. Another coalition we are talking about is the tanks coalition. So it, it, it keeps functioning. Uh, our partners and allies are going to keep uh, tanks supplied to Ukraine. And here we talk about Leopard tanks, first of all. And uh, at, simultaneously, this coalition is also responsible for uh, training of Ukrainian pilots uh, to use F-16 jets. And uh, the new thing here, another th new thing here, was the, the creation of coalition of capabilities. It's the coalition which is focused on the post-war development of Ukrainian military sector. Why it is important? So here we talk about not only about the situational um, support of Ukraine. We are talking not only about the needs of Ukraine uh, on the front line to, uh, to, 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 to win, to bring the victory closer. Here we talk about the strategic planning uh, and the uh, capability building of Ukraine um, in the long-term perspective. And it's also a very important sign uh, in terms of uh, NATO integration of Ukraine. And if we talk about the uh, current needs of Ukraine, if we talk about the weaponry that Ukraine is going to receive, um, uh, first of all, we can... Uh, emphasize that Ukraine will receive um, ammunitions, a lot of ammunitions that are uh, important to uh, keep counteroffensive, uh, that are important not to let Russians break the front line, and that are important for uh, protection of Ukrainian sky. Um, our uh, Ukraine's uh, Minister of Defense also told that uh, the work was grouped according to several clusters. So Ukraine, together with allies, uh, singled out five uh, clusters of cooperation that are of key importance for Ukraine. And here we talk about air defense, artillery, aviation, navy, and armored, armored uh, weaponry. So basically, uh, the results of this meeting are very important. Uh, they are positive. Ukraine is going to receive weaponry uh, it needs. Uh, we're also talking about the strategic level of cooperation, about deepening, uh, deepening of this strategic level of cooperation. So even though they were no, not huge, uh, loud breakthroughs, especially talking about the long-range missile, range missiles, uh, the next, this... Uh, 15th Ramstein meeting was a success for 
Ukraine and also for Ukraine's partners. Thank you, Nastya. Indeed, it's very important to follow this topic. And let us probably turn to, to, to the last topic for today. This is a question of Ukrainian grain and grain exports to the European Union, and in particular to its neighbors, the neighbors like Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia. And uh, sadly enough, Maxim, you already mentioned this, this is a growing dispute, in particular between Ukraine and Poland, who are the big allies, but it seems that this um, economic issue, which is certainly very important for Poland ahead of its elections due on the 15th of October, but still, it, it really really very much worsens the relations between the two. Uh, at the same time, there is a, another subject, which is European Commission, which intervened. So, Maxim, can you tell us more about this? Yes, it's a very complicated story that has been dragging on for, uh, I'd say, the second year already, basically since the start of the full-scale invasion, because that full-scale invasion and the blockage of the sea routes, trade sea routes that ensued, uh, it uh, made it impossible for Ukraine to uh, export grain uh, through uh, maritime uh, means uh, first completely and then even if it was possible under the grain deal uh, still the volume of uh, of grain that could be transported via the grain deal was incompatible with what uh, Ukraine needed and Ukraine need this badly because this is one of the two biggest articles of Ukraine's exports for basically ever, which is steel products and uh, agricultural products. This is the base of our GDP. Uh, so we need to get that that produce abroad. And uh, so after, with the, the Black Sea being blocked, uh, we heavily relied uh, on our Western neighbors, on the European Union, and in that sense, of course, mostly so on the uh, immediate uh, neighbors, namely Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, uh, and several other countries. Moldova, who is not in the EU, but I assume there have also been uh, transportations through its territory. So, um, however, the development is such that uh, the, agri the representatives of agricultural sector in these countries said, like, guys, the, the amount of Ukrainian grain makes us incompetitive in our own markets. So we need to do something about that. And long story short, there were regulations, there was a provisional ban for Ukrainian agricultural exports to the European Union in order to keep European agriculturists happy. And this ban is, uh, well, has expired on the 15th of, of September, and the European Commission, because the ban was had been adopted centrally by the European Commission, um, it was not prolonged, because there evidently have been some negotiations between Brussels and Kyiv, uh, the result of which was that there would be no more ban, but Kyiv undertakes to uh, develop mechanisms that would control the quantities uh, of export uh, produce as well as the mechanisms themselves, uh, basically, which means that uh, the grain would not would go through the territory of the European Union, but would not be sold there, and that way it would not hamper the well-being of European uh, producers. However. Uh, this is not the full story, because several countries, in particular Poland, Slovakia and Hungary, uh, they refused to follow this cancellation of ban and they kept it on the bilateral basis with Ukraine. And this is uh, a major hampering, not just because it does not eliminate the problem for Ukraine, 
but also because it turns this issue into the war of everybody against everybody. Because now Poland is not only, for instance, Poland is not only not happy with Ukraine, but also with the cancellation of the ban by Brussels, and Brussels is not happy with the three countries that uh, do not want to be obedient within the common bloc and the joint uh, single market. And, uh, of course, there is Russia that benefits from everything. And then there is Ukraine that needs uh, agricultural exports with no over-exaggeration like oxygen, because, as I said, this is the major article of our exports. So that's, uh, that's the landscape uh, for now. But there is a big hope that uh, in a couple of weeks' time, maybe in a month's time, this will come to an end, uh, because, as you've already said, uh, indeed this, uh, in a big part of it, might be the issue of the forthcoming elections in Poland. And, uh, of course, uh, the domestic uh, forces want to show their constituents that they are the ones protecting uh, the interests of the Polish people the most. And they are using, using this story. So uh, there are these uh, expectations that uh, at least, well, maybe if the, the, the issue does not go away completely, at least the parties will be more willing to negotiate and to work out a compromise after the elections. Indeed, this uh, worsening of the Ukrainian-Polish relations is very, very unfortunate. I think it's in interests of national interests of both Ukraine and Poland to maintain these relations as much as possible. On the one hand, Poland did a remarkable job uh, in in helping the Ukrainian refugees. Uh, on the other hand, you, you might argue that two million Ukrainian refugees in Poland uh, are also benefiting the Polish economy, which itself. Uh, lost uh, about the same amount of people due to migration within the EU. And obviously, uh, if Ukraine falls in this war, of course, we are sure that it will never happen. But if we imagine the situation, uh, Poland will have a very harsh times because it can be a next target of Russian expansionism. We also need to understand this. But therefore, we hope that the relations between the two will improve in the next maybe months. And uh, uh, I would like to say that one of the topics of our one of na- our next episodes will be precisely Polish-Ukrainian relations. So this is it. Thank you, uh, colleagues. Thank you indeed for joining this conversation. We try to cover the major events in and around Ukraine over the past week. We started from the September 16th until today, September 25th. Uh, it was a little bit longer period than one week. Um, so this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a chief editor of Ukraine World, and I was joined by my wonderful colleagues Anastasia Heresimchuk and Maxim Panchenko, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World. You can support us at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at PayPal Ukraine.resisting gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.